0: This is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Subway, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, I am joined by a wide-mouth Mason drummer, Safwan Javed. Safwan, thanks, man. I appreciate you being here.
1: Hey, appreciate you having me, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem. I am uh, I'm an old wide-mouth Mason fan uh, from the late 90s. I played the self-titled record to death. Uh, I love, you know, my old self, Midnight Rain, all the great tunes. I still listen to you guys regularly. I play your stuff on my radio show. I actually saw you guys open for the Stones in Toronto, and I think it was 1997. I want to say "Bridges to Babylon." Is that right?
1: That is correct. That was one of them, anyway. Yeah, that's bang on.
0: Yeah. So, what was that like, Safwan?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, it's a notch on your belt that you know. Look, we're it's twenty some years later, and we're still talking about it. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's kind of this mark that you you wear proudly and feel good about. It was a really interesting experience for us. We, uh, you know, we were just three dudes from Saskatchewan touring back and forth Canada regularly with the occasional U.S. tour and an occasional, you know, show or two in, in Europe. And that was kind of our lives. And so to all of a sudden be on an enormous stage um with an enormous audience with you know arguably the biggest band in the world was was an interesting and and unique and new jump for us i think we you know in terms of playing and getting up there and doing our thing it you know for us it kind of doesn't matter where we are it always turns back into us just playing music um it's more the sort of peripheral stuff around it like the the enormous and the enormity of like you know the setup of the stage and the setup of the of the backstage catering and then the setup of the inner sanctum for where the band eats and hangs out Uh, all that stuff was just like it felt surreal in terms of how big (laughs) it was uh and even just the like you know response of 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 either fans of ours or just the general music fandom out in the world to you know us doing that it was you you realize just how far the reach of the Rolling Stones is when all of a sudden, you know, it's just, just wave after wave of people asking us about it, people interviewing us about it. We had the, the first show we did on that run, the Bridges to Babylon was actually in, in Montreal. Mm. And when we, we pulled up to the venue, um, you know, we were in like a 15 passenger van. All of us had just been sleeping in our, in our different pews in that van. <laughs> and we got out and rolled out and got to, you know, we we're about to go into the hotel and paparazzi showed up not looking for us, but looking for us in that they knew we were the openers when they saw us roll up. So they just wanted to see what we knew about where the stones were what they were doing where they were eating had we seen them yet you know that's just a wave of questions and it and it hit us then it was like well this is so weird you know we're not used to this as being our lives we just this is normally we roll up look for a bathroom try to find some food and get clean (laughs) and get ready for the show so yeah it it was cool man and and then you know the the cap on all of it was the you know like Charlie Watts kind of reached out to us and, and oh, brought wow. us into that inner sanctum and was really kind to us he had dinner with us and introduced us to the rest of the band and that was a pretty cool experience just to see wow. that this guy whose life is again so weird compared to m- most people's lives you know we were sitting having dinner with him and his assistant showed up with this with this a whole bunch of pictures of photographs and she's like oh mr. Watts here are the pictures of from the island uh-huh. and he just looks over at her kind of confused and says what island is that and she's like oh the one you purchased last month (laughs) (laughs) and he still looks confused like oh which one did i purchase last month so it's like (laughs) i'm looking over his shoulder and there's like pictures of wild horses running on a beach on some island that he doesn't remember purchasing i'm like that's a different life than mine
0: that is absolutely surreal
1: (laughs) (laughs) but really cool right cool that that guy is like being really mellow with us and, you know, being just very hospitable and generous and kind and warm. Yeah.
0: There's there's absolutely nothing better than that, Safwan, than meeting, um, you know, somebody that you respect and finding out that they're actually worthy of your respect.
1: Right. That's the best man. It's the, it's the, it's the flip side of the coin of where you meet someone that you really, you know, enjoy their output artistically and you meet them and they're kind of jerks. But the flip side is this one where you meet them and you're like, this is a great person. Thank God
0: yeah that is so cool you guys were no stranger to that you uh you opened for zz top too
1: we did we've done a couple of tours of zz top one at the very beginning of our kind of run and then one we did in 2010 uh, so yeah. gordy johnson was our bass player and it, it, that was awesome the second one was awesome because um captain billy gibbons as we called him <laughs> um was was again he befriended us and would reach out to us consistently on days off and and we'd go and have drinks with him and have dinner with him and That's awesome. you know have get invited to like his barbecue where he'd make his special guacamole and it was oh. just cool man he was the constantly offering us often hilarious life advice like <laughs> you know he was telling me he, was, he gave me a lot of advice on beard maintenance oh. which funnily <laughs> yes. enough was would have meant that i'd have a beard that looked a lot like his <laughs> he gave you know advice on what to do for you know don't trust bankers and what to do with your money and i uh, is just a great guy
0: that's hilarious wow that's great you've probably got a lot of stories
1: uh many of them i can't tell but yeah there are some good ones <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh so one fun fact you are also an entertainment lawyer focusing on intellectual property law but wide mason fans might not know that
1: Yeah it's uh I didn't it's, it was kind of unintentional at least until it actually happened um before the band took off I was in university and the plan was to go to law school and that's the kind of I I negotiated a deal with my parents saying look (laughs) I know you really want me to keep going you know for my parents education was really important post-secondary education was very high in their list of things you're supposed to do as a given and so you know I was doing my undergrad and the band just started to take off and I, I had to kind of convince them and say look let me just try this out it's not it's not often you get offered like a major label contract so let me just try it out and see what happens yeah and and then i'll come back if it doesn't work out i'll come back and do more degrees specifically a law degree that's what we kind of that's where i was headed anyway um and so it worked out band-wise and you know fast forward to a decade or so later um, after having done, you know, countless years of at least 200 gigs a year, being on the road constantly or being in a studio writing and recording. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like the right time. Like, you know what, I think I can go back. But I wasn't intending to practice law. It was mostly just like an exercise to work my brain in a different way and and experience that again. Mm-hmm. And so I went to law school and loved it. And, and with no intention of, of practicing, that's probably why I loved it. Um, I just took classes that were interesting to me or that related back to my life as a guy in Widemouth Mason, and then I kind of got to the end and thought, well, I I basically I basically run like three quarters of a marathon, like I think I should just finish it, and I did, and then sort of a series of of uh, fortuitous happenings happened, and um, suddenly I was a music lawyer. Wow. Um, and it's worked out well. Like it, it the two obviously complement each other in that they're in the same sphere I deal with a lot of the same people whether I'm dealing with them as a guy in this band and co-managing this band or as a guy who's a music lawyer um and so yeah I, I feel like you know early on in our life as widemouth Mason I didn't pay much attention to the the business side of our ventures mm-hmm. uh and and now that's kind of flipped on its head where I pay a lot of attention to that cuz I'm better versed in it
0: yeah I I think that's fantastic yeah, yeah. Now, the big news, Saffron, in the Widemouth Mason Camp is the forthcoming 20th anniversary reissue of your record, Stew. In November of 2020, it's going to be released as a limited edition LP. It's, uh, it's a great record. I love this one, too. Very funky and, and pretty eclectic, and I guess that's the name. So how did this whole reissue concept for Stew come together?
1: So, you know, we'd had over the years we've always been kind of very tried to be really accessible to fans and be really interactive with fans cuz you know a we dig our fans and b it's, mm. i think it makes sense in this day and age to to be reachable so for many years fans have been asking for back catalog to be available on vinyl mm. they were never pressed to vinyl in the first place so they weren't mastered for vinyl the artwork wasn't made for vinyl um, and so it was always kind of a thing that we' kind of you know explore a little bit but it never really went too far mm-hmm. um finally we got to a place where we said look this is this is a great opportunity right now where it's an anniversary it's a it's a good excuse to get the vinyl press for this because of covid lockdowns we were um, we had a bit more availability in terms of time and focus to be able to do what you need to do and there's a lot to do to get it to where you need to get it mm-hmm. um and so yeah it, i think just things kind of lined up for us to be able to pull it off um and so we really went after it and through several months of of labor it got done and so you know here's where we land and and, and you're right to say it's the funkiest of of uh, yeah. our albums that was on purpose like at the time we made it We were collectively listening to things like Sly and the Family Stone or The Meters or Marvin Gaye or uh, Stevie Wonder or Prince. And so, you know, typically with us, anything we're listening to seeps into then what we put out Mm -hmm. without whether we're conscious of it or not. This one was very conscious, though. We sat down and did like, you know, deconstruction analysis of what made those records we were listening to funky, what made them do the thing that they were doing. Gordy Johnson, who produced the album, coined a phrase called "groove science," which is which is us sitting there and really breaking down what makes those things, what makes the groove the groove in those ah. particular records. And so oh. then we'd kind of reconstruct it in the Wide Mouth Mason universe, and there you go. Stu is what came out of that.
0: I was going to say Gordy Johnson probably had you know uh, a hand in this for sure. Um, yeah, the, the funk aspect of it.
1: He he's a funky guy. We didn't. uh, So we were we were writing and demoing for what would be the third album, Stu, um, and didn't really know what direction we were going to go with it. Um, And then as we were demoing, it started to, you know, unconsciously it was starting to go in this direction. And it just so happened, timing wise, to line up with Gordy being in Alberta for an extended stretch, Mm -hmm. and we were we were demoing in Edmonton, and we were friends and he'd helped us a lot in the past he knew us really well and he was a bit of a mentor and big brother to us and so we happened to get in contact with him and said hey here's what we're doing what are you up to and say so, you know what i'm gonna come i'm gonna come meet you guys let's see what happens wow that's and awesome. uh and then it just it all clicked. He kinda he got what we were doing. He was listening to he listened to some of the demos we'd already made and we had like good listening sessions to other records. I think that's when he probably introduced us to the band called The Meters mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of other stuff. You know, we dove into some James Brown, you know, Jimi Hendrix band, the gypsies, and it was like it just he got what we were going for and we came up with this concept and we were off and running.
0: Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That is so cool. I'm looking forward to this coming out. As I said, I'm a I'm a wide Myth mason fan. I like this record too. So good for you. I'm I'm really happy you guys are doing this.
1: You may also, if you get in quick enough, you'll get there's there was one track that didn't that was on in those sessions, but that didn't get put on stew. Mm-hmm. But we are releasing it um, oh. as a separate standalone vinyl single. I think there's a limited number of those, but yeah, check the links in our socials and or and or on our website. And and if there's if those are still available, you might want in on those. I think we're gonna They'll ultimately be up on streaming platforms as anyway. May okay. um, already be up on on SoundCloud and the like.
0: Okay, okay, I'll check that out. That's great. Uh, and pre-order can be done through your website, your web store, right?
1: Yep, and socials yep. have all the links in the in the bios or or pinned to the top.
0: Perfect. That's great. Awesome. Okay, my man, are you ready to get into your song list?
1: Yeah, let's go. All
0: right. This is uh, this song list is going to be very educational for a lot of people, myself included. I, I I love what I see here. I know a couple of these. I do not know a couple of these, and uh, I can tell you that it's uh you know compared to what I see regularly, it's it's unconventional, but I really like that. <laughs> no, really, this is going to be very cool.
1: I'm going to take some pride in that.
0: It de- do seriously. Right. Yeah. No, definitely do. Let's get started with Marvin Gaye. Now, I know this one, Inner City Blues, from What's Going On. Inner City Blues, maybe you want to holler.
1: Okay. So, like, first of all, just listen to the bass line. If you do nothing else, just sit and listen to what's going on with that bass line. It's crazy. It's maybe the coolest thing I've ever heard in terms of bass lines. And I'm a big fan of bass lines. So, that's one. Two... The lyrics of what's going on and the social commentary of of society at that stage, and in many ways, still we're still there. Mm-hmm. And three, Marvin Gaye's voice, like Marvin Gaye's voice is is up there in the whatever top number you want list you want to make. He's one of the he has one of the purest, most soulful voices ever. Yeah. Um, and I think this song really showcases that as well. And then four, if you hear anyone in the background sounds like people kind of milling about talking and stuff those are two dudes that used to play for or maybe even more but I know at least two dudes that used to play for the Detroit Lions because around about that time Marvin Gaye became friends with the Detroit Lions a football team in the NFL especially those two dudes I think it was Mel Farr and I can't remember who the other one was and it turns out that Marvin Gaye was so like naturally gifted as an athlete, even though he didn't really pursue that, that he even got because of that friendship got invited to go try out for the Lions and showed up at, for one of their training camps. Wow. And so they showed up and, and just stood around and were the extras in that in the in the background of that song. So okay. there you go. That's that's my bit. Those are my bits <laughs> on that jam.
0: That's amazing, man! Don't you love though? Like just the looseness of that. Like there's two dudes in the studio while they're recording this. Right? Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like that was the time all that stuff happened in the early '70s, and it was just like all those those, those Rolling Stones records. You know, like you can hear chairs moving on the floor and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. You know what I mean? I just I love that. It's so organic.
1: Yeah, it's you don't. Have, it goes to show you know you don't need to be precious. Certainly not to be funky.
0: Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And that comes through on this record. And, and, you know, this is the last song on What's Going On and right at the very end it segues into the song What's Going On, which leads off the, the record. I, I've always loved that about this.
1: Yeah, it's such a cool, the whole album is great. I would have put the whole album on if we were doing albums. Yeah. Um, it's such a fantastic, fantastic album. Anyone who hasn't checked it out, you got to, like, listen to the whole thing. It's It's deep, it's soulful, it's just a, a classic album.
0: Totally, yeah. Next is uh, Black Uhuru and Anthem. This is cool, Jamaican reggae, right? It's yep. 1972, I want to say. They, yeah. They, it just like a really interesting spin on this tune too, because um, it's got like electric drums, and it almost <laughs> yeah. it, it almost sounds like a like an early 80s uh, guitar sound at the very beginning of the tune.
1: For yep. me. Yeah. It's very specific tonally to, a, to an era and even more to a genre and even more to those specific players. So let's start with the rhythm section. This is Sly and Robbie, which are drummer and a bass player, Jamaican reggae guys that, you know, are probably the, the best known rhythm section, certainly of that of that genre. Um, mm-hmm. And they were considered sort of top of their class, still are to some extent. And they just had this chemistry and this vision for creating beds that were so rock solid and so robust in terms of making a pocket that you know that it was almost like trance like to listen to it. It almost put you into a under a spell. Yeah. And and this is this is a this kind of this song typifies that it's them kind of at their best doing their thing. And then this they're in this particular track, obviously they're playing. Um, as the rhythm section for a band called black uhuru which had michael rose as the lead singer during this era and he too is a is an extremely unique fellow in terms of when you hear him sing it's own it can only be him no one can emulate it i don't yeah. think anyone should even try probably and i'm personally just a big black uhuru fan they have a, a large catalog of incredible songs that you can just spend an entire day listening to whether you're listening to a few over and over or whether you're listening to the whole catalog a couple of times through Mm -hmm. but to me this sort of is one of the one of my favorite reggae songs ever and it just captures something and a certain feeling that kind can that can come from reggae that is more than just sort of you know having a cocktail at a resort in on a terrible (laughs) island it's a it's deeper than that. It's much deeper than that, you know, the, the and lyrically it's really cool. It's talking about sort of revolutionary ideas. It's talking about rebellion again. So it's, it's, it was timely then it's probably timely now. Um, yeah, yeah. great jam.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love this next one. Cool. Modi. I go to work. Like <laughs> I, love, I love, this It's bringing me back to high school.
1: I go to work, man. Like I, the lyrical content in this is brilliant. Like his flow is brilliant. What he's saying is brilliant. So this comes from that era of hip hop where almost every hip hop song was the rapper or as as they called them, MCs back in the day. The MC is basically bragging, like talking about how he typically, he sometimes there were she's, although there were less female MCs back in those days. It basically is the rapper, the MC talking about how great he or she is that's right um and how they can beat everyone else and all that stuff and i just like the the spin on that idea that this is like cool D's take in this track is kind of colored more from the perspective of this is my job this is what i do and this is how well i do it and then i don't know it's just it's it's one of those ones where it's like i can't I can always listen to that jam. It'll put me in a great mood, and I'll for sure start dancing, and I'll for sure rap along to the lines that I can remember. Oh, the yeah. production is super cool for that era. Yeah, it just it it captures what what was the it captures the best parts I think of early hip hop when it was just kind of nudging against mainstream listening.
0: Yeah, so you know, back in the 80s, I was uh, I grew up in in a place called Sudbury. I don't know if you've heard of it.
1: I've uh, been to Sudbury many times.
0: Oh, okay. See, that's where I grew up, and and I was a I was a, a hard rock and metal kid. You know, like I was into stuff like Maiden and Metallica and, and that sort of thing. But Cool Modi kind of came onto my radar with Wild Wild West because I thought it was just like it kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, "Who is this dude?" It's it was hilarious, and then I got into it with I Go to Work, and and he had, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think he had a feud with LL Cool J. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There were always beefs, which was also great drama, right? It was so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, so the Cool Mo D era would have been like... Yeah, LL Cool J era would have overlapped. LL Cool J, I feel like, had beefs with several guys. Like, oh, I yeah. think he had beef with... Uh, I can't remember, it but I feel like he had beef with at least three or four guys that I can recall. But, you know, it was like the Eric B and Rakim era, the Big yep. Daddy Kane era, Slick Rick. There are so many... Yeah crazy fun personalities and all of them were just like piping themselves and yeah how, how could you not have have drama come out of that it's yeah. very entertaining
0: it was kind of fun back then too right it was almost like um you know i'd liken it to like wwf like like you said like all the different characters and they all have these feuds with each other and yeah. uh, if you look at what is the record how you like me now if you look at the album for that it's, it's Kumudi standing in the foreground. In the background, there's a Jeep, and under the front tire uh, is uh, that trademark Kangal hat that LLTJ used to wear. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? It's pretty funny, seriously. Yeah. Right under the front tires. So it's like, how do you like me now? <laughs> pretty subtle.
1: <laughs> pretty subtle, <Exactly>. right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a great pick, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so your next one, you're going to have to help me out because these next two are yeah, absolutely hard to, hard to pronounce. It's brand new to me. So is this Tiniriwen?
1: So the band is called Tinariwen. Okay. T I N A R E W A N. Tinariwen. Okay. They are Tuareg um, nomads from wow. Northwest Africa. And they were found, they were discovered in a refugee camp. They were just dudes living in a refugee camp in Libya, I think. Wow. And like, think about it, right? You go, you, if you walk into a a refugee camp in Libya, do you think you're going to see electric guitars plugged into amps? Like, (laughs) I don't even imagine most refugee camps have electricity, right? No, God, no. Maybe I'm misunderstanding or I've mischaracterized refugee camps, but I don't think of them as great places for people to be. And I would imagine electricity is would be challenging at the best of times. But anyway, so these dudes get discovered in a Libyan refugee camp and I, the person who discovered them is like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. The world needs to hear you. And so he took them. I think he was a French dude. So he took him, took some recordings and went back to France with them and. Things started rolling and boom, these guys just exploded. Wow. Um, and that's where I kind of caught wind of it a couple of years after that happened. So this would have been like late 2000s, I think, okay. maybe mid 2000s, somewhere in there. And this al- again, this comes from an album called Iman Aman, which is Water is Life. Okay. Uh, the song is called Claire Achele. And the, it, it falls into what's now been uh, characterized as a genre called desert blues, because mm-hmm. there's apparently there are a bunch of dudes playing electric guitars in refugee camps in Northwest Africa. And so this is a thing. And there's a there's other artists like Bombino is another artist in this genre. There's tons of them. If you just search Desert Blues, you'll find tons of artists like this. But this to me was like the seminal work. It, for me it's the it's the connection of this is what opened the door, that album and this song is the first track on that album. And immediately upon hearing it, I was like, This is the coolest thing and the most different thing yet feels strangely familiar that i've ever heard
0: what an incredible find
1: yeah it blew my mind and then so maybe 4 years ago i got to go see them live here in toronto oh. at Massey Hall oh wow and uh, and it's in my top 3 of concerts i've ever seen all the time it just felt like i was transported to a different place or like someone had slipped me magic mushrooms <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow that's cool remember i I was talking educational man i had no idea about this at all
1: it's mind-boggling man like listen to the album it will blow your mind it's so cool
0: i'm gonna check it out yeah yeah wow uh your last tune also might need help with this one Amjad sabri and is it rahat feta ali khan is that right
1: yeah, so Amjad Sabri is one dude, and then Rahat Fateh Ali Khan is the other dude. These two are both descendants of kind of the two key figures or groups in the world of, of, of Gawali, Qawali. Q-A-W-W-A-L-I, which is a type of music that comes from South Asia, Pakistan, and India, mostly. Yeah. It's a spiritual music form that originally came from the mystics of the area who were seeking connection to a higher power, not through prayer, not through liturgy, reading religious texts, but rather through this musical form you've you've probably seen like the whirling dervishes of uh of turkey where you see those dudes that are just spinning around in circles yeah. yeah those are those are sufi mystics too they're doing the same thing seeking connection with you know the higher power via that trance like dance okay. and so this musical tradition does the same thing via it's a, it's a very repetitive and emotional type of music and singing. And so I got introduced to this through my father. This would be music that I would hear every Saturday and Sunday when I woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two big figures in this were one guy who was named Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, who became quite well known outside of people who just listen to this kind of music okay. um, and, and did collaborations with like Michael Brooks and a bunch of, and Peter Gabriel and kind oh. of became known on the world scene. Mm-hmm. He died in the early two thousands, I think. And then there was another group. It was two brothers called the Sabri brothers, Ghulam Sabri and Farid Sabri. So the guy on this track, Amjad Sabri is the son of one of those Sabri brothers. Both Sabri brothers are dead now. Okay. Um, and the, and the Rahat Fateh Ali Khan on this track, that dude is the nephew of Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. So both of these dudes learned from those kind of seminal players in this genre. And this track is a modern rendition of, an, of a classic Kavali song, which automatically has nostalgic value to me that can't be measured um, and then and on top of that it's performed in this place called coke studios in pakistan which is this really cool uh, venture that is set up where modern musicians link up sometimes with sort of more uh, the kind of the older generation of musicians mm-hmm. and or play songs of the older generations of musicians but in a very modern studio setting and it's videotape. so if you look up coke studios you know on youtube or anywhere on the wide, world wide web, it'll come up. it's a big thing it does it does really well. And so this track I like because a the song itself is beautiful. These two guys singing is again it's as good as singing gets. it's very pure and it's soulful and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that it's in this really cool setting which I think is, is a cool piece of what's going on in the country that was my parents birth country.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So the nostalgic aspect is certainly there for sure.
1: It's huge. But also just like if you just listen to these guys' voices, it's it, it transcends personal connection. It's like it's just you you know when you hear someone with a pure singing voice how you know it's it has a certain power that that crosses over language, culture, yeah. religion, race, yeah. all that stuff.
0: That's so fantastic that you included this. This is a great list. Thank you for sharing that.
1: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. No problem.
0: And I enjoyed this chat. This is a lot of fun, man.
1: I did too, man. This is a, it's a really cool format for doing this, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: No problem. You can come back anytime. This has been great. I really enjoyed it.
1: All right, deal. I'll have five more.
0: Oh, Hey, people come back three or four times. People have been on All the show right. five times. You can't just do five, Safwan. You oh, yeah, just...
1: five is. I was. It was tough, man. That was a stretch. I had to cut that list down. It hurt. <laughs>
0: Ron McLean came on and he said he's been on like three or four times. He said, "Brent, I have to bring ten my first time. I've got forty songs, <laughs> and I can't. I cannot oh. budge on this. I, I cannot drop any of these forty. So we had to do four <laughs> shows, <in> ten.
1: <laughs> oh man, if I'd known that, I would have been coming hard
0: <laughs> next time. Next, I started your list. Deal. Deal. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, Pre order the 20th anniversary uh, version of Stew from Wide Mouth Mason Web Store. The album's available November 27th. Wide Mouth Mason, Safwan, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's been fun, man. Thanks, Brent. Take care, man. All right. You too. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Wide Mouth Mason drummer, Safwan Javed. Till next time, folks, take good care.
1: Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Subway, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are
0: Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide.